What a wonderful time of year, right? To be able to celebrate all the things we're thankful for, uh, all the joy that that represents. Before we jump into today's content, I do want to reiterate what Jill said earlier. You are very, very welcome, even if you had no idea you were going to have lunch with us today. Right after this service, uh, we have that whole big gym area set up. I would love for you to come and enjoy lunch. I am 100% sure we will have not only enough food, but too much food. So we need you to come and eat it. And uh, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to just fellowship and hang out together. So today is the second part of our series, Blessings at Home. And last week, I was so glad that Pastor Dell kind of brought forward a biblical vision for what households are supposed to mean. And that sometimes in our understanding of what we're doing, even here on Sunday morning, we look around and we think, hey, we're in church. Well, well okay, well, I mean, we're in a church building and we're assembled as the church called BCBC, but church is bigger than this place and this meeting. Do you agree with that? This is just the expression of it when we all get together. And in fact, you're going to have more church when you go home this week than you are here in this building because your home is also an expression of church, and we'll, we're going to walk through that, although we're going to walk through some principles of how that can actually look and work. Like we heard that last week, and you go, and I don't think my home feels like church is supposed to feel. Well, if that's the case, I'm glad you came today, uh, because I'm going to give you five questions you can ask that I believe will help improve your home, household, family dynamic. Okay, we'll pull those right out of the scripture in just a moment. But I have to confess, when I was listening to the message last week, as Pastor Dell was saying that, you know, in the, in the concept, biblical concept of church, your home, your household is a part of it, I was thinking about this. That's my household, at least some of them. Uh, we have 10 kids, Melissa and I, and, uh, and so we have lots of stuff going on in our household, as you can readily see. And so when I think about my responsibility as a church leader, Yes, I have a responsibility to all of you here in this room, the assembled church of BCBC, but I also have an even greater responsibility to that church, my home church, just like you have responsibility for your church at home. So in the Bible, uh, we find that God's plan is actually to be that our households would be centers of blessing. That, that where we do our life is actually where we learn how to follow Jesus. Here, it's almost more like a, I mean, yes, we're doing the teaching here. You have some fellowship. If you, if you come to the lunch in a little while, that'll be another level of fellowship that's really important. But where you'll ultimately find the accountability, the daily walk, the doing life together, that's going to be in the context of, context of your household and your close network of friends and relationships. Uh, this, this is more of a supplement to that. This isn't the only piece of the puzzle. So we see that even in the, the use of the New Testament word church and how we understand it. Sometimes when the New Testament talks about believers in Jesus gathering together, it uses the Greek word ekklesia. And that's kind of what this is. That's when the whole church family gathers together to either hear teaching or to pray together, be on mission together. That's important, we can't lose that. But here's the piece of the puzzle that I feel like is easy to lose, especially in American culture, and that's the Greek word oikos, which means the households of God, your household, my household, being a sacred place where God lives and where our mission is expressed, 
where we actually learn the way of following Jesus and we do that together. See, not, none of what we read about in the Bible is actually designed for you to try to do by yourself. In, in our culture, we're kind of tempted to think that that is the case, right? So we would read the Bible and we would individualize what we read and we'd say, well, okay, this is talking to me. And, you know, that's, that's true. The Bible is talking to you. It's how God communicates his word to you is when you read the Bible. But when the Bible was written, it wasn't written to you as one individual at a time. It was written to you, the church, both in the oikos, your household, and in the ecclesia, your gathering. So I think it's fascinating to read the New Testament with that lens on. Instead of just reading it to say, well, how does this change my life? It's interesting to read and say, how would this change my family life? How would this change our church life together? How would this change my friendships or my, even my work relationships? See, the Bible was designed for us to live the way of God with people of God. So we're going to talk today, kind of building on this principle that was introduced last week, about what the vision could be for your household. Now, in 2020, we all got to practice this, right? Church at home, like literally we had church at home, and there it was. Like, so this was my church for a few months there, uh, back in the day, and I imagine we'll tell this story to our grandkids or something someday, but I would come to the church all alone, I would talk to a camera, and then that would get produced by Brad and Trevor and our team, and then it would go out to you, and all of us would sit there in our living rooms and we would watch church on TV. But is that really what we were doing? See, I would contend we were watching a message and some music on TV, but where was the church in that moment? Was the church on the TV? No, the church was on your living room couch. You were the church, right? You always have been. Your home is the church. So whether we meet here or in your living room, or whether, you, whether you're in another country and you're all by yourself, just your household trying to, hey, the church can be anywhere and everywhere especially in your home. This is an interesting way to look at it. I think about my responsibility to my church, the household that would meet at my house, and, and think, Lord, thank you for that responsibility. Thank you for that accountability. So I was thinking of it this way. I could potentially, and I'm honestly saying I'm not doing this right now, I'm not trying to, but I could pretend to be a good Christian for all of you. Because that means I just have to be on my best behavior for two hours a week. This week, stretch it a little bit all the way out to 1.30 if I eat lunch. And then I can go back to being a sinful, terrible person, right? But as long as you all see me here acting good, you might never really know the real me. But guess who does know the real me? Those people. The good and the bad and the ugly. And there is a little of all of those three things in my life. So the, the, the premise that church is actually at your house as well as here changes the way you live the Christian life because there is no performance of saying well when I go to church I dress up and not just dress up externally but maybe you dress up in your attitude maybe you dress up in the way that you would answer the question how are you doing and you could present a really impressive front to other people and then as soon as you get home you kind of collapse back into reality well, here's the good news, maybe the bad news. Church is going to follow you wherever you go. And you can't fake it to your household church. 
So you might say, man, my household church is not a place of unity and serenity and worship. My household church has some problems. What do I do? Here's where I want us to turn in the Bible um, to find some answers. So first, I just want to show you another premise here toward this, which is in Acts 16. And Acts 16 actually has nothing to do with the idea of how to have a healthy family or something. It's, it's just a completely different Bible story, but there's a, there's a note in here, an emphasis point, that I think validates exactly what we're talking about. So if you look at Acts 16 and go down to verse 29, this is when Paul and Silas were, they had been caught as, you know, they'd been under persecution. They'd been pulled into jail for preaching the gospel. They were praying for help, and God sent a miraculous earthquake, and suddenly the jail doors are open, and they and all the other prisoners could just walk free. And here's this jailer, the guy in charge of the whole thing. And back in the day, if you were a jailer, it was pretty much your main job to keep the prisoners in the jail. It's probably still the same job today. Um, and so if you didn't do that, you would not only lose your job, but you would probably lose your head, okay? Because you just didn't let that happen. So earthquake happens, the doors swing open, and this guy immediately is thinking, I'm done, like I've got no hope. And, and he goes back to see where the prisoners are, expecting that they've all already scattered off into the wind. And there they all are, Paul and Silas with them. And in that moment, that Philippian jailer realizes there's something different about these people who follow Jesus, something I don't even understand. I need what they have. And here's what he says in verse 29. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How can I have whatever it is you have? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. Is there a period? No, there's more, right? Along with your household. Well, that's interesting. Maybe just kind of a fluke. Let's keep reading. It says, and they shared the word of God with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds and then he had... And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that they had believed in God. Do you think there's a reason that it was emphasizing that so much? See, when the Philippian jailer became a Christian, it wasn't just about him making a decision for Jesus. He led his whole household into a completely new way of life. And together as a household, they embrace this new way of life. So I look at that and I think, wow, that's, that's different probably than how things happen in America these days, right? Where in America, you would, you would often have households that are kind of divided. Maybe one person takes their faith really seriously, another person shrugs it off. Maybe one person becomes a Christian, the other one says, I can't believe you believe in that kind of thing, and they completely reject it. And, and we would sort of individually pick our course. But when the New Testament was written... People were responding, were responding to God in households, which is interesting to think about. One, because that might mean something to us directly, but it also might change the way we read the instructions in the New Testament. Imagining that it's not just you in your quiet time reading, for example, Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's probably you gathered around the circle with your family reading Paul's letter to the Colossians. 
And we, when he says, let us do this or that, it's not just the general us out there, it's your spouse. It's the people who live at your home. It's your best friends. It's the people you're literally doing life with that you get to walk this new road with. So we're going to practice today exactly that dynamic by turning over to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see a vision for Christian households in a text that I know for myself, along the way, I've been tempted to read as just about me. But when you read it with this little frame in mind, you start seeing context clues that the only way it works is if you're with a group. You really can't do this stuff on your own. So let's read the text, and then I'm going to back up, and I'll give you the five questions that you can ask that, honestly, they could make a difference this week, right? Because if ever there was a week in the calendar of an American family when they have to come face-to-face with the idea of being a household, it's probably this week, right? Some of you are looking forward, you know, eagerly to that. Some of you are dreading that moment with every fiber of your being, think, I can't wait until Friday when all of this is over. Okay, it, it kind of surfaces something about your household dynamic and your extended family dynamic. So let's read Colossians 3, and in your mind's eye, I just want you to picture you and the people you live with or the people you would say are the closest to you in your life circled around reading this together and just hear it in that voice, that plural voice. Since you have been raised with Christ, set, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the seat of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will all share in his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality or impurity or lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now it is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. 
teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now I look at that, and then I think about my family picture, and I go, we've got some work to do. Humility, gentleness, forgiveness, gratefulness, eternal perspective, music, Jesus filling our lives. I say, well, okay, that's what I want, but I feel like I'm not completely on, I mean, I've, I'm on the road. I, I want to believe that, but I don't think I've arrived at that destination. Have you? Or would you say your household and your family dynamics could use a dose of this? Maybe even your Thanksgiving meal this week would really be a more pleasant experience with a dose of this. So, here's how we'll walk this through and make it practical. I want to give you starter questions that can help you take these principles and turn them into action in your life. So we hold this up as the vision, and what, what I read Colossians 3, I'm not thinking of it in the sense that like, here's the perfect family, and I've already blown it, and I've got no shot. Instead, I'm thinking, here is God's ideal. Like, if I really walk the way of Jesus, this is how life will be. And this is the way my family, my household will operate. This is the way our church family will operate as well. So this is our aim, right? Lord, help me to be the kind of person and help us to be the kind of family that someone could look at our life and then they could look at Colossians 3 and go, yeah, I see some similarities there. Wouldn't that be amazing? So how many of you a couple years ago used the uh, FaceApp age progression thing? Anybody fall for that? Supposedly the hackers have your face now. I don't know what that, what that means or what they're going to do with it. Um, probably earn royalties or something. But here the hackers have your face, but you know what you'll look like 30 years from now. Come on, you have to admit, did you do this? Some of you are like, I didn't have to do that. I just look in the mirror. It's already, it's already there. But... <laughs> And I know what you're feeling. Like, I'm starting to feel that myself a little bit. But, you know, what the app does is you take a picture of yourself, and it, it literally age progresses you, gives you wrinkles and gray hair and washed out eyes or whatever. And, you, and here, you, you, look into the, you look into this picture, and it's pretty scary. You're like, man, that's how I'll look as an old person. So here's what I'm doing with Colossians 3. I'm thinking about my family picture. Maybe you could think of yours. And I just want you to age progress your family picture by 30 years. Okay? It might be around your gravestone or something. If you, I don't know how that'll work, but just, just, just go with it. Let's pretend everybody's still alive. Okay, 30 years from now, here's your family. There's probably more people in the picture. There might be some, you know, whatever, grandkids, great-grandkids running around in the picture. Uh, everybody looks a little bit older. In that moment, if, if you looked at that picture, will your household look more like Colossians 3 than it does right now? So the theory of Christian living is that the longer God gives you on earth, the more like Jesus you'll start to look, right? Because you're practicing his way. So, in, I mean, hopefully, even next week or next year, you could say, yeah, I'm growing toward Jesus to where more and more, even though my outward body is starting to waste away, my soul is actually being renewed and starting to look more and more like my creator, 
And that's the vision, right? So, so here you think of that for your whole family. You say, I don't know if we're even on the right road to, to get to that end. But here it is. These five questions can help you get on the right road starting right now. So here's the first one, and it comes right out of the first four verses of the text. Could we pray? That's the question. Here's the, here's the verse. Since you've been raised in new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now, you live in the same world I live in, and you probably realize you could go through a day, a week, a month, and not really think about heaven at all. Has that ever happened to you? You'd be so tied up with the, the things that have to happen, the bill to pay, the crisis in front of you, the, the next vacation you're going to go on, that you just kind of lose track of eternity because there's so much going on on earth. The question, could we pray, is a way to break up that rhythm and think up instead of just at your current life. When you say, could we pray, it's like you're sort of inviting God to be a part of the storyline again. Now, there's some traditional times you can do this, and again, this is the perfect week to practice, right? Because around the Thanksgiving meal, whatever that will look like for you, it, the cultural tradition would be like kind of the whole idea of the holiday is to give thanks. So you could start right there. Hey, before we dig in, could we pray? And what that does is just for a brief moment, we leave the conversation about sports and politics and weather and household, and we think about God and his place in our lives. Look at verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So when you call someone to prayer, you're actually calling them to think about what actually is the life that they're built for. And in our households, we can do that anytime. We don't actually have to wait for Thanksgiving. So traditional times to do it, if you want to build it into a rhythm, is before you know, an evening meal together or something, or right before bedtime, hey kids, can we pray? Um, that, that's, that's great. I would even say you could start building that into other moments in your family life as well. You're facing a crisis. You're feeling pressure. Hey, everybody, could we just pause and pray? It's a way to get our attention off of the things in this world and up toward heaven. It's a small change. It's a small question. The prayer might not even take 30 seconds, but it, it's a step in the right direction. Here's the second question. Will you forgive me? I'm guessing based on long-informed experience, that I'm going to need to say these words to someone at some point in the future. Because, verse 5, says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And I would have to admit, the earthly things still are occasionally lurking within me. So when those things happen, what do I do? How, how, do I, how do I actually leave anger and rage and dirty language and all the things it says to leave behind and embrace a new way? I ask for forgiveness when I offend someone. So Lord, give me the grace to do this every day. One of the ways I like to think of this is to keep short sin accounts. So you think of a sin account would be if, if you wrong someone, you hurt them, 
Now it's sort of like you owe them something, right? You'd say at minimum, you owe an apology. Maybe you actually owe more than that. So keeping a short sin account would mean that you don't, you don't have some big blow up at home or hurt someone somehow, and then just let it ride for hours and weeks and months, hope that time will heal the wounds. It won't heal that kind of wound. Instead, right away, as soon as you realize that something has been wrong, as soon as you realize that your earthly nature was lurking in some situation, you say, hold on, will you forgive me for what I just said? for the way I just acted, for the way I just blew up at you, for the bad attitude I just had, will you forgive me, is a healing question to ask. It's not usually the whole process. There might be more, but that's where you begin. So that question can start to renew your household relationships. It's likely that if there is someone that you're dreading seeing this Thanksgiving or someone that you couldn't invite because you don't talk, that one or the other of you needs to say those words, right? I can't really think of another reason why I couldn't talk to someone. So you say, Lord, would you give me the grace to recognize my need to ask for forgiveness and to put away this old way of life? Why would I want to live in anger and deception and everything anymore anyway? I'm, I'm on a new road. I'm setting my heart toward heaven. So keep the short sin account so you can move forward in the relationship. Your household fellowship is broken when there's sin in the middle of it. Asking for forgiveness is the way you restore that. So if you feel distant from someone, just pray about this. Now here's the next question you can ask. What's our real priority? I don't know if I would just stand up and, you know, hit the, hit the glass at the table and announce this question, but I guess you could. I'm thinking this might be more of a conversation between you and your spouse or you and your kids when you're, uh, you know, kind of a private moment. Just say, hey, what, you know, what are we really after in our life here? Um, maybe the person that you feel estranged from, the friend that you just haven't been able to get back in touch with and connect with because there's some problem. Hey, what's, what's the priority of our lives? Look at verse 11 or verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Right there is the purpose of your life. That's what it all is about. So you might have you know, micro priorities that you're dealing with in your life that stress you out, earning money, dealing with family members, raising kids, whatever that might be. What's the real, what's the overarching priority? It's that we would actually know God and become more and more like him. And so as a household, if you are able to circle up and say, hey, this is what we're actually after, I can help give some fresh perspective to the challenges you're facing. It's a great question to ask. What is our real priority? Maybe start with the Lord just praying about that question. Lord, what's my real priority here? And then let's talk to the people we love and spend time with about that. The fourth question is, what attitude does God want me to have? So we're going to look back at verse 12. If I was picking a, my favorite and least favorite part of this whole text, it's this verse. Because it sounds wonderful, but it also sounds kind of like something I'm not exactly doing. Okay, so there's work to do. Look at verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I'm not going to do this to you, and I'm asking you not to do this to me, but imagine we go to the people who know us best, and we hand them a little checklist with those character attributes on it, and just say, hey, do you see this in Dan? Check, 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 or no checks at all. Um, That is, the people who know us the best in our household, they would know if we're really exercising mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. See, here we could fake all that. You can't fake all that at home. We say, Lord, if we've really been chosen as your people to represent you in this world, if we really have that much of a purpose in life, help us to represent you well. And Lord, would you start your work in me? So it's easy to read a verse like this and go, I really hope my spouse is paying attention. (laughs) Are you paying attention? See, that can be a distraction, right? Because it's not about what other people need to do. God's asking you what you will do. If you want a household that could be described by these words, then you have to be described by these words. Say, Lord, help me to grow in patience. Help me to grow in kindness and mercy and love. You go on to verse 13, which really shouldn't surprise us because we all are human and we already read verse 5. But look what it says in verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. So if your family member or friend works up the courage to actually say, will you forgive me, what's your job? Of course, yes, I'll forgive you, not because they deserve it or they pay penance or something, but I'll forgive them because Jesus forgave me. So when we operate that way, we start to live in this, it sounds kind of heavenly, right? It sounds kind of like almost pie in the sky, too good to be true, family life that really looks like this. It's the way of Jesus. It's really not that complicated. It just takes us letting go of our pride, saying, all right, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing for the change to start in me instead of pointing fingers at other people. Here's the fifth question, and the last one I'll ask you today. Can we talk more about God? Something that happens in the pace of our lives is that When you start adding up the things that we have in front of us, that we can get involved in, they can fill every available slot of time and every corner of your mind. So just think about it. Some of the things are important and some of them are silly, but they can fill up everything you've got. So just in one particular week, you know, you you have a job, you have stresses with that, you have projects that are, you know, on, on the table for you. You have family dynamics. You might have child discipline. You might be growing a garden. Your car might need to get fixed. You might be really excited about some sports team somewhere and you just watched all their games. I mean, by the time you fill in with just all the things of this earth, it might be possible that you don't have any spiritual conversations at all and that your home church, your life church, is not having any focus on God, which would be a strange kind of a church, wouldn't it? So the only way to fix that is to be really intentional, because I think if we just go on autopilot, if we just do what comes naturally, it'll be really few and far between moments that we actually have a genuine spiritual conversation or some sort of mission together or some sort of focus on the Lord. So look at verse 16. 
Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. You just look at that verse and go, well, is it filling our lives? Or are a lot of other things filling our lives? And then this is kind of the extra that we throw in when we can. So this question, could we talk more about God, starts to change the story a little bit. We talk more about our purpose in life under God, talk more about the kind of people God wants us to be, open up the Bible and read more of God's Word together. So we say, Lord, would you help us have the wisdom to know how to do that with our family and friends, with our household that we're walking through life with together? Hey, setting aside devotional moments together will change the conversation in your home. If it's not happening naturally, then put it on the calendar, right? And say, every day at this time, we take a minute to pray and we talk about our day. Or every day, every week at this time, we have a family meeting, we read the Bible. Just start to calendarize the things that are important to you. Make sure that God has that pole position in your family conversation. You don't have to start as some sort of theologian to do any of this. You just start with the question. We talk more about God in our relationship, in our family, in our household, and see what that does, see how that takes you a step forward. Last thought for today. I want you to catch this vision. Not the vision of my family age progressed 30 years. You can think about that if you want to. Um, Your family 30 years from now. Or this week. What is the purpose of it? All the, everything you're doing in your, in your family. And you're paying your mortgage, you're trying to steer kids the right direction, you're trying to invest in grandkids that you have. You've got all these different family and household dynamics happening. What is all of that supposed to add up to? I mean, it's an awful lot of work to have no purpose to it. So what is the purpose? It's not just to survive. I think the purpose is a little bit like this. Your household following the way of Jesus together. Because your sights are set on eternity. You're setting aside your old way of life. You're embracing the new thing that God wants to do in your heart so that you can become like him and fulfill your eternal purpose in doing that. As a result of that amazing calling, you're saying, all right, I want my character, I want my daily life to reflect Jesus in humility and patience and grace. And and I want the message about Jesus to fill our lives as a household. So that next year, five years from now, 30 years from now, we look more like Colossians 3 than we do right now. That journey is an important one, and you can start it today. So let's pray for God's courage, for his help, to say this phrase here, okay, God, you can, you can start with me. Lord Jesus, You can start with me. I'm willing, if there are changes to be made, to not expect others in my household to go first, but to go first myself. I pray that you would give me, and I know my brothers and sisters in the room have the same heart in this prayer, would you give us a vision for where you want our families to go and what you want our homes to look and sound and feel like.
would you draw our attention up toward the purpose of our lives, toward eternity, toward our relationship with you that matters more than any other earthly concern? Lord, would you draw us together in forgiveness and grace and love and mercy toward each other? Help us to boldly set aside the patterns of this world, the anger, the rage, the immorality, the dirty language, all those discouraging things that keep us from living the life that you designed for us. Lord, we want that to be done, and we don't want that to define our household. Instead, we want people to look at our household and see a little picture of heaven, a little picture of you expressed in our relationships one to another. Of course, we pray that about our whole church family here. We want to treat all of one another that way, but we know that these principles have to start not here in this building, but in the building we'll go home to. And Lord, that's our prayer today. Fill our hearts with vision, with new hope that wherever crazy place we're starting from, there is a future that's worth living for. There is a family in the future transformed by your grace that we get to be a part of. Whatever that's going to mean, help us to ask the right questions. And Lord, you can start with each one of us personally. We look forward to where this will take us if we walk on this road. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.